Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Star Trek Discovery Edition, and I am Michael, your captain and host. And at the science desk is David, Ensign David. Hello. Hello, Captain. How's it going? Good. Thank you. Are you ready to get into this episode? Yes, I'm I'm getting my emotions and feelings all checked out for yeah. this. I, I will just say right off the bat that this was a very, very strong episode of Discovery. And I don't want to just say Discovery. This is a great episode of Star Trek when you take into account everything that they were doing and working towards. I, I, I'm going to say that basically this episode of Discovery was my most surprising. And in a good way, too, because like the type of the type of themes that they were dealing with here. Mm hmm. You, I've seen so many people try to tackle them and yeah. just fumble it. Just oh, yeah. basically, it's really difficult to write stories centered around psychological uh, themes. Yeah, dread. Dread. Essentially, yeah. Yeah, stuff like that or emotional things without going too melodramatic with it. Yeah. But this this episode totally surprised me because they treated it not very respectful. Uh, not just respectfully, but also they approached it scientifically, which is really impressive. Yeah. Because well, it didn't sound hokey. No. I mean, that's what you you have to do with Star Trek. You have to always try your best, even if it's fringe science, you have to try your best to, to use your type of science that you've established within your universe to solve your problems and explain things. And that's exactly what they did. And that's what Star Trek has always done. And you can't, you can't avoid that otherwise it would feel very flat because you know, and insincere to the world of Star Trek. Because no matter what, at the end of the day, I've always noticed, especially with really great Star Trek stories, whether it's going all the way back to, you know, the Guardians of Forever storyline, the, the greatest Star Trek story ever told, where it's very, it's very dramatic and it's very emotional. Talking about from the original series? Yeah. Yeah. But they tackle it with a sense of logic, like... Yes, this is a sad moment. Logic but and rationale. Logic, logic and rationale still comes through in the end. Yeah. And I was really surprised that this particular episode of Discovery, it could have gone, it could have veered into the trope that a lot of people make fun of Discovery where everyone's crying on the ship. <laughs> right. <laughs> but here they approached it in the very end where it was like, oh, okay, you're approaching it seriously. It's not melodramatic and you're throwing in the logic and reasoning behind it. Right. Yeah. And that's why a lot of these aspects are working this season. So a few things, David, before we officially start, somehow we got it in our heads during our last discussion that there was just one episode <laughs> left. 
for this season. Obviously, that's not the case. <laughs> I, I, I am prepared to go into the agony booth for this one. Yeah. Oh, you're just going to accept the blame for me? I will, I will accept the blame. Okay. <laughs> because I was so I was so dead set that basically this is it. It's the penultimate episode. We're going to see uh, Species 10C. Yeah. I, I don't know why I was thinking that. I, I, I want to say it's because Picard premiered this past week as well. And I was not under... Th- I was under the impression, I should say, that Picard was starting after Discovery had wrapped, not at the exact same time. So I knew when Picard was going to premiere. So that's why I assumed, oh, one episode will overlap. But obviously that's not the case. Well, especially since like we, for for some strange reason, I had the idea that I had the notion that every single series was going to go one uh, series was going to do one season. They would have prodigy in the middle of each season to kind of like okay here's some more star trek still to save people and then the next series would come on not like okay this season's gonna go on prodigy's also going on in the background and then we're gonna overlap right this one that's a lot to take in as a star trek fan it is a lot but i'm i'm here for it i would never get exhausted or tired of star trek that's just not gonna happen now, I might get annoyed if you're giving a shitty subpar Star Trek, but also <laughs> yes. I don't see that happening at this point. It seems like Kurtzman and company, they have a plan of action, and um, and so far it seems like it's going in the right direction. And we'll talk about that more during our Picard discussion that will also be available. So if you are listening to our Discovery discussion, there should also be released at the exact same time on your feeds, your podcast feeds, a discussion for Card season two episode one so keep your eyes open for that but david getting back to our confusion about last episode and this being the final episode coming up i suppose that says a lot about this season which is a good thing because the writing is consistent and tight so, so much more than previous seasons that we were going along with the notion that we were at the end Yes. Because it felt like things were falling into place with our character development. And this season isn't squandering any of its potential. For example, using the captain's log the way they did in this episode allowed the serialized format to move quickly through things we didn't see and things we don't really need to see. There are downsides to both serialized and episodic television formats. For example, With serialized, many times you don't have the luxury to slow things down and skip past certain elements that may not be important to your story without feeling like the writers are just jumping through time and space, writing, chronologically speaking, to hurry through the season and allow character development to marinate because they skip, let's say, two or three weeks. It doesn't always work for serialized story uh, chronologically. But with episodic television, you do have those aspects that you can make work a bit better. You can have an episode about Worf and then two months can go by. And then you have, again, two months chronologically within the context of the series, not actual time, our time. With episodic television, you can do an episode about Picard being assimilated by the Borg, and then the next episode can be Picard on um, on Shoreleaf, and he's okay because, for all we know, 
Three months went by. Exactly. Six months went by. Six months. You don't have that luxury with serialized television. So you have to find ways to make it work. And that's why you have things like the captain's log. Well, not only that, I mean, especially in this particular captain's log, I really found that this was probably the one major captain's log that Burnham has done where we fully get a more of a gauge of Burnham as the captain. The one thing about captain's logs that I've always loved is in a lot of ways, the captain's log is a chance for us to get a look into the mind of the captain. I mean, every time right? introspective yeah. because it gives us an idea of their characteristics. Kirk's whenever Kirk was on his captain's log, he's very laid back. He's very like, okay, whatever, whatever comes may come. I'm going to deal with this. And this is how he's seeing his crew's everyday life. Same thing with Picard. Picard is a more elegant way of when you listen to his captain's log. Cisco was more military. Like he was more straightforward. Janeway was more like a diary of, of like a, of a matriarch talking about her, her children. Burnham, Burnham is actually, I'm finding her captain's log, especially in this beginning, more analyzing. It's more like a deep, it's like a therapist, look a therapist book, looking into the eye, looking into the minds of her own crew, trying to figure out how are they thinking? How are they, how must they be dealing with this emotion problem, right? And that's like a therapist. It's very different from any of the other captain's log. And I really, that's what I really liked about the way they began with it. Because again, you're establishing Burnham as the captain. Well, and that's why I always say when I talk about filmic conventions being used, these are, these are filmic conventions. You're using, for example, the captain's log. Let me connect it to what you were saying, Dave. It's a moment that we can learn a little bit about how Burnham is viewing everything that's happening how she may take that and use it to understand the crew. And we too, by proxy as the audience, suddenly understand her perspective and outlook and possibly her hopes and fears. That's character development yeah. through film conventions, a la the captain's log. And not only that, I mean, Helmet conventions like this, they, they help with moving the story forward. There's no reason for plot holes or narrative plots. There's always a way to move things quickly in a clever manner. And through the use of the captain's log in this episode specifically, we learned several uh, key aspects pertaining to unknown species 10C. 10C. For example, the planet they had picked up on their sensors was at one point a gas giant that was pulverized by asteroids and was subsequently destroyed why is that relevant? Well, because as we learned, it was apparently unknown species 10C's home planet. The planet's star had a Dyson sphere surrounding it that was made out of the same material as the DMA controller. So these are things that were fleshed out through the captain's log that would otherwise either A, we would not get that information, or B, we would get it in a terrible moment of exposition, or C, we would have to waste another two episodes to find this information out. And obviously when you're dealing with a very tight ep episode order, like Discovery's dealing with, you don't really have that luxury to do that. So you have to find your moments to help a serialized story progress chronologically in the way of plot and narrative that works. And that's why the captain's log to me has always been one of the greatest tools 
when it comes to those writers or for those writers in the Star Trek writing room. And this right here is a perfect example of that aspect. Um, we also got our first glimpse-ish of a new alien species. Uh, interestingly, uh, these species live within layers of gas. Yeah, a giant species too. Yeah, and they appear to be very big in size based on the bones of the dead left on the planet, which was also pretty cool. So as we said, these aliens do indeed appear to be very different than most of the humanoid type aliens we see in Star Trek. That's something that you and I were, were talking about in great detail last episode. Uh, these creatures are even vastly different than, say, the Breen and the Tholians. I yes. do not believe we've ever seen an alien species quite like this. Perhaps Species 8472 is one of the stranger species to date. Probably, probably and, that, or even like, you know, the species that they ran into in the very first TNG episode, the one that basically they were building a colony into. Yeah. That species. Encounter at Farpoint. Encounter at Farpoint. That yeah. species, you could probably say maybe that's the closest thing, especially with the, the size. Wasn't it like a jellyfish? Yeah, almost? it was a giant jellyfish. Yeah, that was cool. I love that. I mean, because why do we always got to go to the humanoid species, which is something that, listen, later Star Trek, that's what they did. Unfortunately, Deep Space Nine did that, Voyager. They kind of got away from the craziness of, of potential alien species. TO, TOS and TNG both delved into those and very rarely veered away from those odd alien species. So I'm glad that Discovery is going down that route especially because you're dealing with unknown, uncharted territory. Yes. Uh, we need to see things that are relatively odd to us. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the, 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 the This past season for Discovery that I really have been enjoying is Discovery is not afraid now into going into alien concepts that us as Star Trek fans are probably not comfortable with. I know that there's a lot of Star Trek fans that don't like the idea of all these alien species that are not humanoid. Right. But in actuality, by Star Trek standards and science, it makes more sense that there there's alien species out there that are so varied because not everything's going to be not everything. Nothing's gonna, not everything's going to be carbon based. Not everything's going to be like human sized. They may be gigantic. They may be like minuscule, but they're still life. And by, by science standards, that's normal. Right. But for I understand for a lot of Star Trek fans who who are used to Star Trek narratives, humanoids humanoid aliens are more comforting. Yeah, especially if we're leaving the known galaxies and time. We yeah, we're we're delving into these areas that we've never been into before and going back to that episode we talked about before from Next Generation. The prime species, is that what they were named? I think, yes. The species that essentially seeded the galaxy with life. Yeah. And they were trying to say that essentially all the major species within this galaxy were connected. So if we're leaving and going beyond that, then we are going to have to see species that may not resemble what we are familiar with. Yeah. So I definitely was on board with this whole entire 
species that lived within the layers of gas that were huge. I'm very happy with that aspect. Now, the damage and destruction of the planet, this is where it gets interesting, and maybe the theories can't begin. It was estimated to be around 1,000 years prior. Now, David, because, because of how specific that date is, very specific. <laughs> it seems too on the nose, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you think possibly Discovery's travel into the future might have had something to do with that destruction? Or do you think it's purely coincidence? Oh, man. When you brought this up, I had to really think on the fly of how I thought about this. And I'm going to hedge my bets that there's a reason why. It it can't be a coincidence. Why a thousand years? Why a thousand years? Specifically. Yeah. <laughs> specifically a thousand years ago, they basically said that. And I'm like going, there has to be a reason why they said that. It can't be just like a throwaway basically saying, oh, just because we want to put it farther away. That that seems like a hack idea. Why to not 2,000 years? Why not 500 years? Why not 5,000 years? No, very, very specifically, specifically 1,000 years. years. And I, I was like thinking to myself, okay, what happened 1,000 years ago to make this moment happen? Was there something directly involved, you know, or should I say the Federation or Starfleet or Discovery they inadvertently involved with the destruction that they caused the asteroid to come destroy this planet. Well, you got to also understand these are reasonable questions, right? Oh yeah. There was a lot of things going on during Star Trek during that time frame. You had things like the whole uh, warp drive controversy, which is like the Federation was going around using warp drives and it was destroying space. It was ripping time and space yeah. Then you had stuff like temporal wars going on. Oh, that's more destruction of time and space right there. So it's like. That's why I'm wondering, are we dealing with a possible, you know, issues of causality? Is there something that they did cause and effect that then affected them? When you look at the theme, well, there's a lot of different themes going on this season, but let's look at the theme of empathy as it pertains to ethics that they actually posed in this episode with the DMA. Like, are they aware of what they're doing? And if they are, do they even care? Do they even care? Perhaps they view what they are doing as inadvertent collateral damage, no different than what had happened to their planet caused by the Federation. Are they viewing it as, you know what, this is just a byproduct of us mining. This is what we need to do. Just like you did what you needed to do and you destroyed us. You destroyed our, so you destroyed our home planet. I don't know if that's the direction they are going. It's Purely hypothetical at this point. However, the thousand years seems very specific. So we'll see where that goes. Now, David, this is where it gets really interesting for me. Intellectually speaking, Burnham has stressed that the importance of this mission was to hopefully find some type of cultural context, common ground in order to have a successful first contact. First contact, yeah. You need, she said, in order to have a successful first contact, you need to understand something about the species. And Kovac's words about communication and the issues of the universal translator rang true in this episode because the discovery 
I should say the away team figured out that unknown species 10C did in fact communicate very differently than humans. And that makes you go back and reevaluate what Kovic had said. That was essentially a, a joke that they brought a lot of attention to being not very funny to everyone else. Unless you had an intellectual mind, you thought it was funny, but the fact that they had to bring that up and then Burnham specifically says, we need to find what they can understand in order to connect with them through some type of cultural context. And it turns out they communicate through a type of hydrocarbons and this is, again, really cool. Essentially pheromones. Essentially pheromones, yeah. Now, this clued the crew in on a few things. Species 10C, though biologically different, experience an array of emotions that Burnham hopes will lead to a successful first contact. First contact. Now, all of this was great, David, in the way of cosmology and the bigger picture of Star Trek building out the world. But what is the episode actually saying yes. a good episode of star trek is typically relevant socially speaking in some way this is where the writers really shine ultimately this episode was about cultural context if burnham and the crew could find something that they share with 10c like basic emotions love fear etc then there's a possibility of that or I should say there's a possibility of a shared empathy. Yes. Which will help resolve their issues. It's basically it, taken into context, like the, the story, the, the, I guess you could, I wouldn't even say story B, but story C was the one doctor and then the president, their whole discussion and everything of how the doctor needs a better bedside manner. At the end of the day, what is that story about? It's about being empathic. It's being having empathy. We understand that you have this point of view, but can you understand, be empathic enough to be compassionate? And that's why I thought what was brilliant was the story. The story itself uh, throughout the entire episode was going great to the very end. And I was like, okay, they're going to go the tradition, the, the the more safe route. Where Burnham says, if this species can feel love and peace, then we can we can do it too, right? But I love the fact that the writers of Discovery went further and then had to add that bit of tension where they basically said, well, if they can feel this. And they feel the fear and pain of them dying and their world dying. What's there to say that basically they don't care what's happening to us? Right. And that's, to me, the the heart of the episode and the entire point of the episode in the way of the philosophical. Like what the episode is trying to say. Obviously, you have the overt narrative in the story itself, which is always the simple surface level that most people can comprehend and take in. But if you look deeper within the subtext, you begin to realize that there's a much bigger message, which is typical of an episode of Star Trek. And this, David, is once again, honestly, a classic Trek type of message, this whole issue pertaining to culture, context, and empathy, as you mentioned. Yeah. Going back to what I said a few episodes ago, the real intent of this episode is to flesh out the idea of cultural differences and bringing it 
a little closer to home and to our own lives, it refracts what is currently happening across the globe. Yes, it is. Specifically within the Western nations. And if we are to resolve our issues and move on in a unified fashion, we must find a cultural context. Yes. That way we can better navigate empathically. The comment that Burnham said, I believe Colbert, empathy is sometimes uncomfortable. Trying to understand people who are vastly different ideologically, ethnically, it's not always easy, but empathy is sometimes the only way to find common ground. common ground. And I love that aspect where they brought the idea to the foreground that empathy is uncomfortable. Trying to experience and understand what someone else is going through or what a people or group of individuals are going through is not always comfortable. That's a part of the process, though. If you hope to get over that hump and to solve our issues of differences, you have to be uncomfortable in order to fully understand. Yeah. That's the bulk of the messaging of this episode. And to me, it's one of the most strongest elements ever, I want to say, utilized today in Discovery. Discovery's had some great moments of the philosophical that harken back to the original series days. But I want to say this episode has done it in a way that they haven't quite, I want to say, utilize these aspects to this degree. And the way this entire aspect was delivered, this is where it really gets great, Dave, as a Star Trek fan. The way it was delivered was during those last few minutes of the episode with the crew, the away team, in the shuttle, on their way back to the ship. And you have Burnham, Saru, Colbert and Detmer all having this philosophical conversation about empathy. I mean, this, op this conversation didn't necessarily end on a positive note. Uh, they mentioned that if 10C valued life, as we learned through the pheromones, and knowing that they are doing these things to other worlds, what ha had happened to them essentially, then perhaps they will stop. But then there was another question. What happens if they if do they know what they're doing, doing and they just simply don't care? They don't care. And there's the uncomfortable aspect. Yeah, because like the, the thing that I love that went along with that was the story, the minor story that was being told with Detmer. Detmer, who's been suffering through PTSD this whole season. And then we have this moment with her where she gets to experience peace and love and tranquility in its purest form. And it's so alien to her. She, she's At first, she doesn't know how to accept it. And in a way, that made her get the empathy of basically her PTSD and understanding how people are trying to help her, but it's very foreign to her. In fact, in some ways, Dave, do you think maybe Detmer was possibly a proxy and a foreshadowing of yes. Species 10C? Species 10C, because like I'm like going... They they specifically chose to keep to use Detmer in this particular episode as part of the away team, but her plight was very different from the, any of the others. Right. If you notice, like for Saru and Culber and and uh, Burnham, experiencing that moment of peace and tranquility was euphoric. Was was 
fantastic. But to Detmer, it was alien. It was different. It really bothered her in the end. Even though it felt great, it felt so foreign. She didn't know how to process it. Right. And then basically bringing that into the that, that final conversation with them, that's when the question got brought up. Well, what happens if they know and they just don't care? Because just like Detmer, Detmer experienced it. But to her, she's like going, well, I've never truly experienced something like this. It's nice that I felt it. But at the end of the day, how does she really work through? How did she like work? How, how do you yeah. work through something like that? Yeah, And that's why I was. It's a little. I mean, obviously, we're we're definitely delving into areas of interpretation, and we could be very off about it. But it does seem like they are trying to work through some of those ideas of I don't want to say the inability to feel, but possibly the the notion of feeling something you haven't felt before. Maybe that's a way that they will get through to species Tennessee by having them feel something. That possibly they haven't truly feared. Yes, we are felt. We understand that they did, in fact, feel dread and joy and peace. But are they able to connect those feelings to what they were doing to the Federation and Starfleet yeah. and these other lives that may be small to them or inconsequential. So I do feel like there is a message there. It's a little murky for the time being, yeah. but it does feel like it's connected to a bigger meaning because the Detmer aspect was, was on point. It, well, it did work with the overall messaging. Well, especially when you took it into context, because the one scene that I, I was at first, I watched this episode, like I think four times because the first time I watched it, the scene at the very end with her and Adira seemed to stick out to me. I was like, why is this here? Why do we need this here? But the more I started watching it and the more I started seeing the connections like what you were making. It's with, about 10C. It's about 10C. It's yeah. not about Detmer's PTSD. Yes, that the PTSD is important. But at the end of the day, Detmer is still like 10C where she's trying to figure out, okay, what do, do these feelings mean? And then she comes to a empathic understanding for others who are trying to befriend her. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a bigger a bigger thing at work there with and, with uh, yeah a metaphor or an allegory of sorts. After after the fourth time I saw it, like wait a minute, just like we said, Detmer is kind of like I think they're hinting that Tennessee is like Detmer. Yeah, when they do approach them in first contact, it may not go all sugar and rainbows like what what Burnham is hoping. Right, they, they may be uncomfortable like Colbert. Or they may feel at a loss like Detmer did, you know, with not understanding the feeling. Now, she did enjoy that feeling because it's something she never had felt. That was the whole idea in the way of yeah. character development for Detmer, which we'll get into that after our break here. But this whole aspect of fear, Dave, it, th this is one of the, the interesting aspects as well of the episode because it delves into the issues of fear and what causes people, I guess, what causes people to do what they do. Uh, 10C was terrified by their destruction. And that much is clear. Be? Right. But so much so, they built an impenetrable shelter. They've isolated themselves, cut themselves off. So now the writers are talking about isolationist cultures or societies. Yep. The dangers that come with isolationists, 
sometimes manifests itself as a society that is unable to empathize with others because they are disconnected from other schools of thought. This fear is evident in how Booker, Tarka, and the general from Earth is acting as well. Yeah. So there's a lot of good things at work in this episode. And that's why, David, when I see people complaining about Discovery still, I'm like, are, are you watching? Are you actually watching the show or are you living in the past are you living still with the mindset of the first season which was a bit of a struggle bus or are you watching what they're doing now because what they're doing now is pretty fucking good it is and i think the problem that i see a lot of times with star trek fans is they start thinking well so and so wouldn't do this so and so blah 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 blah. this character wouldn't do that well the thing that amazes me do you realize that we've gone through four seasons right now and the biggest complaint that still rears its ugly head, which is hilarious because we haven't seen them, I constantly see memes and complaints about Klingons. And I'm like, we haven't even seen Klingons. In like three seasons. In three seasons. <laughs> Two and seasons, yet, And yet fans still hold on to it. Yeah. And they basically say, well, this is my Star Trek because it's not my Klingons. I'm like, we haven't even seen Klingons in the past three seasons. Imagine people... Uh, original series people did that with TNG because the Klingons looked totally different than we had ever seen. Yeah. That, that I should say they looked totally different than anything we had ever seen at that point. Even when you look at the movie Klingons with the ridges that were a little more mild, then suddenly you have Worf and TNG with these giant ridges. I mean, what if people did that? Oh, this isn't my Star Trek because it's different. Star Trek has always had some issues with the continuity of some of their species, it happens, unfortunately, when you're dealing with a franchise that's 50 plus years. It's the reason why Star Wars essentially retconned all of their unofficial stuff anyways. <laughs> because and, then, it makes sense. and then mapped out what is canon and what is not so that people can understand moving forward. This is what we are abiding by. This is the the Bible, essentially, of our of the world that we're going to be writing in. And the sad part is, it, it, it's to me when when franchises do that, a franchise is essentially saying we don't believe that you, as the audience, is smart enough yeah. <laughs> to get over this. That we have to do this. There are some things you just have to shrug and and just deal with it and realize that you're dealing with a 50 plus year old franchise and things are going to change unless you want them to completely retcon things so they can move forward. Look at the trills. The trills and TNG were completely different with the introduction of Dax and Deep Space Nine. Yes. It wasn't until Deep Space Nine they fully fleshed out certain things and quite frankly retconned elements from TNG. Yeah. So this isn't new. And when people want to chastise Kurtzman, chastise him about some of the, the less than stellar writing that we had earlier on. Yes. But these types of things like this... That's it's, silly. It's to be expected when you're dealing with Star Trek. Yeah, it's, it's not ideal, but at the same time, you got to shrug and realize, well, this is what happens with a 50 plus year old franchise is going to happen. Yeah. All right. So get more from the holodeck by pledging to our Patreon page. This year, we've got a wide variety of Star Trek content planned for Patreon subscribers. But you don't want to miss out. We have pre-shows, exclusive podcast episodes, like reviews on Star Trek novels, comic books. In fact, we are going to be covering the Mirror Universe here starting this month, the Mirror Universe War, published by IDW. 
And we also are going to be planning, or we are planning currently, a full discussion and breakdown on the recent audio drama that's inspired by the second season of Star Trek Picard. Fully cast, Gary Ryan is part of the cast, and it's a Picard audio drama which is actually pretty fucking cool. So we're going to get into that as well. And all of that will be available when you head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge a minimum of $5 or more a month. And that will give you access to all of our shows, past and present, and get even more content. Patreon.com slash Digital. Okay, David, so let's talk about character development. Is there anything you want to add to the Detmer bit or did you pretty much cover? I was the, the one thing I wanted to actually cover that I really liked about Detmer is it harkens back to an idea, the, the idea of Kirk, you know, the whole idea of that pain being, <laughs> being like, you know, like your whole life is driven because of a bad experience or bad feeling like how Kirk was with, you know, do not take away my pain. Or the my, greatest lines of all time. Don't take away my pain. That's what yeah. makes me. Detmer, it's almost like, and I love the fact that they tied her PTSD to it because especially nowadays when, uh, when I look at people who deal with PTSD and mental trauma and stuff like that, a lot of people think that that stuff, when you fix it, it goes away. That never goes away. It doesn't? It never goes away and it almost becomes part of you. And it's about embracing that part of you. And with Detmer, when she was explaining to explaining it and trying to say that this is something that she's not going to let go of because it's part of her. And yeah, it's great that she got to experience this feeling, but it's so alien to her that she's like, going, I can't comprehend it. And yeah. It, and I loved it because it's like if you were to throw Kirk in that spe spectrum, he'd be like going, this is right. – I could not I could not imagine this. I can't because it's what – my pain is what drives me forward. It's my motivation. Yeah, and that's <laughs> why, David, when you look at what they did with this episode, it is written extremely well because it's intent on doing a lot of things. Think about this, David. Okay, so it moved the plot forward, right? It fleshed out things that we needed to know about the world of Star Trek. It had a socio-political message, as we had just covered. But then we also have some really great character development all wrapped up into one episode. All the things they were doing socio-politically also was about character development for Colbert, Adira, and Detmer. All of which was all connected under that message. Yeah. You had Detmer and the PTSD and how she is and how she dealt with it is dealing with it then you have the the moment where she experienced something she's never felt before through the pheromones of the species 10c then they connected adira to that which adira we've been a little light with adira this season surprisingly so we learned a little bit about her own issues of self-confidence and wanting to be stronger and more fearless like like Detmer. I, I thought that was a great moment uh, Colbert as well, tying in her, his own fears, uh, the issues of, of 10C and how he feels, a sense of existentialism. It's all good. And it was all made possible through this singular story. That's not an easy task, Dave. No. It really isn't. And that's the type of things I really look for when I analyze episodes of television and movies. 
how many birds are you killing with one stone? Oh, yeah. It's, especially, like, the one thing I really liked that at first I wasn't too – I was a little too wary of because it brought up so many questions about the character's background was Saru. Saru experiencing that fear. And automatically, when I first watched this, I'm going, wait a minute, he can't experience and this. Right. Because his ganglia was taken away. However, when you think about the story thereafter, it's not about physiologically he's experiencing this. Just because you got he's something taken away, he's empathically remembering right. this. So it makes sense that... Saru, even though the ganglia took away that fear and everything else and made him more, quote, unquote, aggressive, at the end of the day, he's still Saru who's been affected by that fear. That fear will always be with him. It won't show up, but it's still there. The memory of it is the there. The memory of it is still there, and I like that. That was actually when – they, when they went on to explain as they were standing around in the nursery – and Saru explains why he why he experienced the fear because he remembered he remembered what it was like to be a, a prey species. Right. Then it made sense to me after viewing it for a second time that it's not about physiologically he's experiencing the fear; it's empathically he's experiencing the fear because he still has the memory of being a prey species. And I thought that was brilliant. Now afterwards, my whole my whole worry about that moment. Because I saw it a lot when we saw the trailer and people were like, like he can't experience this. His ganglia was taken away, so he should be actually not experiencing any fear. But then when you actually put into prospect that just because you get something taken away from you that controls that, like, you know, some part of you physically doesn't necessarily mean that changes you mentally. And then it all clicked in at that point for me. That's one of the things that I think was really unsung about this episode is like we talk about Detmer, we talk about Colbert, Adira, but they did every single character. Every character in this episode mattered <laughs> when it came to actually trying to carry that narrative about dealing with empathy and dealing with, you know, emotional problems. So it was it was beautifully done on all fronts. Yeah, it really was. And that's why, David, I get confused when I read things like this <laughs> Star Trek Discovery season four episode 11 one step forward two steps back I don't know and I don't want to sound like a pretentious douche I'm not saying I'm an I'm the end all or we are the end all in analyzing and reviewing things but I feel like a lot of oh my god my microphone just fell I feel like a lot of these people may not fully understand how to write or the nuances of writing and that is very common that's something i talk about on a lot of our shows that we're in an era where everyone has a microphone everyone has a voice and everyone has an opinion and it's broadcasted out and a lot of times a lot of the people who have these opinions they're not really knowledgeable they're just louder and all they're doing is really talking about their own personal feelings something that we try to refrain from and I'm only saying this because I know we have a, a slew of new listeners. We very rarely review something subjectively. Very rarely. There are moments where our subjective <laughs> thoughts do come out. Absolutely. But that's when the fun stuff happens. Right. You know? There are things that I don't like in certain things I'm not going to get into. 
but I don't really harp on it because it's subjective. It's exclusive to how I feel about Star Trek. So we try to stay within the realm of objectivity. And I don't feel like a lot of these, these blogs really do. And I don't feel like just through a few choice words, I don't feel like they understand the words they're using. Uh, For example, in this article from MSN of all places, MSN.com, it's their technology and entertainment blog. The writer writes, like Disco's previous casino excursion, it sucks so much narrative drive from the story arc that Navar president Karina's pre-mission remark, I cannot express a greater need for urgency than what you already know, feels like some kind of joke. It's a shame because Rosetta starts with such promise. I'm not quite sure if they understand what narrative means, number one. (laughs) (laughs) Number one. Number two, uh, story arc, I mean, they're just throwing words out that it sounds cool and it sounds like it pertains to analyzing an episode. So anyways, what I'm trying to say is I feel like a lot of people who have these thoughts, it's very subjective. It's not really based on any academic merits or experience. No. yeah, And, and that's the thing is like nowadays being a, being a critical reviewer, unfortunately you have more people wanting to just express their opinion instead of actually looking at something cri- critically. Yeah. There's very little, you know, there's li- very little Cisco and Eberts out there anymore. Very, 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 few. very few. They're still out there. But the problem is when you have a bajillion other people thinking that I could just throw out my opinion out there and that's what the gospel is without any merit or without any true, honest thought, then all you just get is a bunch of chatter. And listen, your, uh, your opinions matter when I'm talking to the people out there. Listen, your opinions do matter, but... I feel like if you're going to be writing a review, you should probably stress that in my opinion, this, 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 and this is not working out. But when you start trying to sound analytical and you're throwing out words that you obviously don't understand how to use, it shows that you don't really understand how to break down or fully analyze an episode of television or movies. And this happens a lot. This isn't just, you know, exclusive to Star Trek by any means. It's an epidemic because as what I said at the beginning of this little diatribe here. We live in an era where everyone has a voice and they all think they know what they're talking about. And it frustrates me to no end when you have these types of people uh, broadcasting all over the internet and what you get is a bunch of negativity, ultimately, at the end of the day. Negativity solely based on your own subjective wants as opposed to objectivity. Yes. And that's a shame because Discovery is very strong this season. It's... It was great last season. My biggest problem with Discovery, David, <laughs> it's just the endings. They, yeah. they, they can't seem to land an ending, and it usually happens in the last episode. And you kind of roll your eyes, and you kind of get frustrated, and you're like, what the fuck did you just do? <laughs> you know. But at the end of the day, when you really break down everything they've done, every season is getting stronger, which is on par with literally every Star Trek series we've had. Yeah. TNG didn't get good until the fourth season. 
Deep Space Nine struggled until the fourth season. Voyager, same thing, struggled until the fourth season. So with Discovery getting better each episode or each season, it's just on par. Sometimes with shows like Star Trek, it seems like it takes time for them to get their legs. Oh, easily. And, and the problem is the audience nowadays is not built for that. Because if you think about it, Enterprise, Enterprise failed, but honestly, by the end, it was getting good. It got really good by a season, I think it was three and four. But because of the poor ratings at that point and no one was was willing to give it a shot, it got canceled. I'm happy nowadays because of this. That's one of the benefits of like, in my opinion, like the, in my opinion, <laughs> the, the benefits of the streaming system nowadays, you won't see many things get canceled unless it is god awful. Unless it's basically the reception was like, you know, tomato throwing awful. And Discovery is not tomato throwing awful. Was the first season rough? Yes. Second season pulled it up. Third season, just like what you said. I mean, it was going good until you got to the very end. And then you got to the cry of the child. <laughs> and then you you felt rushed at that point. And that's why the next two episodes, which... The last, it's the last two episodes, right? <laughs> I want to make sure. Yeah. So the we, next we have one, two more episodes. So the next one is the penultimate episode. Yeah. I'm hoping that the penultimate, that penultimate episode is going to start landing the mark because yeah. they set up such a really great story right now. And I don't want them to veer into the writing trope of, okay, we're at the very end. Let's just toss it at the wall and see what happens because that, what happens is you get, it was the cry of a child that destroyed yeah. the the universe. No, don't do that. Well, and that's why I'm hoping, Dave, you know, even though we were totally off about, you know, when the episode or when the season's ending, I still am sticking to my 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 original thoughts about it. We we need we don't need to wrap it up. Bring closure to the immediate arc, to the immediate myth arc. Bring the narrative itself to a conclusion with all the needed character arcs that were also started this season, which last episode, they started bringing them to a close already. But it doesn't mean you need to wrap up the immediate threat, which is 10C. Yeah. You can still have a a type of closure to your season. Just look at all the many seasons of TNG and D Space Nine, specifically D Space Nine, because they were serial for the most part. Look at how they ended their shows. They didn't resolve the issue with the Dominion. They didn't resolve the issues of the Maquis at the end of the season. No, it took time. They, they worked through the immediate threats and brought finesse and closure to that. But the bulk of the threat remained open-ended. And I'm okay with if they do that with Discovery. In fact, I hope they do because I feel like the issue pertaining to 10C is very big. It's getting it's it's gearing up that way, especially since the while I'm rooting for the Discovery crew, the the actual story that I'm really getting interested in is seeing how this is going to end is books, Tarkas, and the generals. Because now at this point, the general. Because they legitimately have a a gripe at 10C. Mm-hmm. Because all they're really, the, the goal for them 
is now not about revenge. The goal for them is now trying to protect everyone from that type of power. Right. right. Which in this episode, I'm like, going, okay, you f- you change the motivation of how I view Book and Tarka going at it as they're going at this for revenge. Now it's about, you know, like they're legitimately saying, hey, we understand you want to do this diplomatically. Their plan B. Their plan B. They're, what happens What happens if 10C doesn't care? Okay, that means you have no other plan. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I feel like at the end of the day, now now that I see where we're going in the direction, I don't feel like like Tarka and Book, they have to have a point at this at this juncture in the series. They have to have a point because the original idea was, hey, they're going to go out and and create some conflict to give us a little bit of melodrama between Book and Burnham, but now we see that it's going in a very different direction. And in order for their story to make sense, they're going to have to play a part. And that kind of makes you wonder when you really start analyzing this, whether or not 10C, or I should say, it makes you wonder, it makes you think that 10C is going to be diabolical. Diabolical. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now David, bringing us to an end here, because we got to close out today's show. I, I have a theory. Is it tinfoil theory? No, no, no. It's 50-50 here. No, it's just okay. a story theory. It's not like... It's not like me where I basically... No, it's no, all no, cute. no, no. <laughs> okay, so let's say they do wrap up. Because at this point, it's 50-50. Will they wrap up the threat of 10C? Possibly. But let's go back to the beginning of the season. You remember what they said about Starfleet and the Federation bringing back their original mission of exploration? Now that the issue of dilithium and the prototype spore drives were now going to be put into other vessels, they said that Starfleet and the Federation can now focus on the original charter, which was to seek out new life and, and new, new civilizations, civilizations to explore. So, David, this is what I think is going to happen. If 10C is resolved, let's say that issue is resolved this season, guess what's going to be the direction the show is going to take? It's going to be Discovery not coming back. Discovery will not come back from the galactic barrier. I feel like they're going to say, this is our mission. We're going to explore beyond the galactic barrier. And that's where season five and moving forward will take place. It's going to take place beyond the galactic barrier. And and I hope, I really do hope that that's the whole point because like, there is something to be said about that tagline being so synonymous with Star Trek that you want every show to live up to that. You know, seek out new lives, new civilization to bully go where no man has gone before. Every Star Trek fan has that etched into their soul. Can you see the the series ending that way? Or I should say, I should say the episode. Can you see the episode ending that way? Let's say they wrap it up. They're all doing their celebration. And then Burnham addresses the crew. and She says, well, guys. We finished, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this is our mission. Starfleet has told us to continue on this path. Can't you see that being the ending? I could see that being a happy ending, but I also could see like somehow, some way, Discovery gets stranded in the Galactic Barrier. It's 50-50 at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Like I could see them getting like ending where, and I... And I don't know, but I think part of me is like feeling like book is going to be the reason for it. But, like, 
them getting stranded in, in, in the galactic barrier makes more sense because they're forced into that situation where they're stuck here, but, just like what you said. But do we want them to be stranded because then we're dealing with a Voyager season? A Voyager again. type of a Voyager yeah. type of storyline. I, yeah, I don't see them being stranded, but I do see them not coming back. I see them saying, this is where we are going to continue our journey and our exploration. Yeah. However it ends, even if it doesn't, even if we don't get to that point this season, let's say we wrap up the main threat at the beginning of next season. Well, I think at some point they're going to say, this is where we're going. This is the unexplored space. So we'll see David, give me your final thoughts briefly. Cause we only have about a minute left and your RMD score. My RMD score right off the bat is a 90. I gave this episode a really strong score because I thought that the narrative that they were and the themes that they were going for were done so well yeah, and so elegantly because like anyone, any other place I've ever written, uh, I've seen people write this type of story. They don't get it. It kind of veers off at the last minute and then you fizzle out here. They ended really strong because they showed, they did the Star Trek thing. You don't say a moral in the ending where like, you're right, I'm wrong. No, you bring up the question and leave it up to the audience. Hey, which would you rather do? Right. Do you feel empathic towards 10C? Do you not feel empathic towards 10C? Do you not understand what PTSD is? Or do you understand what PTSD is? Stuff like that. And you leave it up to the audience. And I thought that this, out of the whole season so far, I thought this episode is probably the most Star Trek episode to me. That's my opinion is like, it's the most Star Trek I felt discovery felt this entire season. Yeah. I think that's fair. All right, Dave, I'm going to give this episode a 92%. It was not the best episode of the season, perhaps, but it did have all those classic moments that we want as Star Trek fans. Yeah. They had a little bit of the sociopolitical. They had the philosophy, We had some characters getting fleshed out, moving things forward into areas that we've never explored before. There was a lot of good things at work here. And I'm hoping more and more people do find this show and pay attention to it and give it a chance. It is a, I feel like it's getting stronger and stronger as an installment of Star Trek. And I want people to watch. We have to support these shows if we're going to get more Star Trek. And, and, Honestly, dude, at this point, if the next one is the penultimate and then we have the season finale afterwards, this is where they have to get rid of the biggest red flag of all of Discovery, which is stick that landing. Yeah. All right. So this does bring us to the end. I want to remind people to look for our Picard season two discussion. It should be available on the feed as you are hearing me speak. All right. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.